You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open. <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill. Waddle, Waddle. Tua, shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires. Touchdown, the guy. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown sixth pass touchdown of, the of the day. Drive Time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, the positional previews roll on. We are stopping by the linebacker room with Damian Parson of the Draft Network. We'll also discuss the David Long acquisition and get a year-two preview for linebacker Channing Tindall. Plus, I have a takeaway from re-watching the entire season. All of that and a heck of a lot more from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. Please help me welcome in my guest today from the Draft Network, Damian Parson. And jumping on the podcast now is yet another draft guru, an expert in the field, and a friend of mine, Damian Parson. Damien, we're just over a week out from the draft now. How you feeling, man? You getting any rest these days? No, I am not. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wish. Uh, shortly, though. Soon. Soon and very soon. This draft class will be, you know, Kansas City will be rocking and, and rolling and the draft will be live. And it's like, man, the culmination of all this hard work on everybody's part. It's been a fun process, but it's been a tiring one. We had a conversation before we started recording the podcast here. And I think it's worth talking about again, just because I thought your, your perspective was really valuable about the idea of the Dolphins, you know, and the genesis of this was me saying, like, I rely on guys like you because we haven't had the draft pick. So our, our energy has been focused, you know, on coaching changes or, or new veteran acquisitions or breaking down someone's film like a Tyree or like a Tyree kill last year, Bradley Chubb midseason uh, a year ago. And I was curious to get your take on the process of spending you know, picks in the 20s, which Miami has done the last two years now on Tyreek and, and Bradley Chubb on veteran players and how consistently that works going back to Stefan Diggs or Frank Clark. It's just like every time you see a trade like this happen, it typically benefits the team that gets the veteran. In some cases, you do wind up with Justin Jefferson on the other side, which is great too. But I was curious to hear your take on the Dolphins approach and doing that because you go from, you know, pick 29 is what that would have been this year and looking at like, edge six or maybe seven with how much those guys go off the board versus Bradley Chubb. And to me, the answer there is obvious. So how do you kind of feel about the Dolphins approach in their team cycle and team building right now? I love it, right? You have a quarterback on a rookie deal for you guys having Tua, who you saw last year when healthy was one of the better quarterbacks in the league. You got him weapons and now he's out here performing at a very high level going throw for throw and score for score with the Lamar Jacksons, with the Josh Allens of the world, right? And being able to really apply pressure to opposing defenses. So have I'd rather have a Tyreek Hill and, and, and essentially that's my draft pick. You know what I mean? If you tell me I could draft a Tyreek Hill or draft a Bradley Chubb with a pick in the 20s rather than getting a young person, a young player that is unproven, 
that has developed development that they have to get to uh, go through and essentially learn that game at the next level at the NFL level, no matter how physically gifted and talented you are, it's always a learning curve. No matter who you are, we've seen Peyton Manning through what 28 interceptions <laughs> his third year in the league. It's a learning curve for everyone. Hall of Famers become guys who become Hall of Famers or guys who, you know, flame out at the end of the day, everyone has a learning curve. So especially when you look at this class for you guys, you guys are, did great. Trading that first round pick for a proven commodity that knows how to win against NFL tackles right now. Who's proven he can win versus NFL tackles right now, rather than, like you said, possibly getting a back end of the uh, top five edge or a potential like top eight edge at tw- in the 20s. And then a lot of these guys in this edge class, while they're physically gifted and talented, they're very raw in terms of their technique. Because of college is not teaching these kids the same way the NFL, you know, has these guys. It's a lot different when you are bigger, stronger, and faster because you're 20, you're 21, and the kids you're facing is a true freshman. When you get to the league, you're facing 28, 29, and 30-year-old grown men. This is their livelihood. So it's a different ball game. And these guys take – I love listening to O-line, uh, offensive linemen and O-line coaches because it's so detail-oriented. And these guys – practice and they study to be able to stop these type of guys. So when you got a student, a high level student as a eight year uh, pro versus a first year day one rookie. Yeah. It's a little different, man. You know what I mean? It's different. If you're like a Nick Bosa, Vaughn Miller, those guys like came in just more technically refined and then mm-hmm. had other worldly skills. So yeah, hundred percent, man, I'd rather have the proof of commodities. At the end of the day, you're not going to draft an all pro year one. It's very rare that you see mm-hmm. that. But if I can acquire an all-pro, an all-pro caliber player, give that to me. You know what I mean? With, with one of those middle or first round type of picks. Yeah, the, the right now comment you made is what really kind of triggers the, the genius behind it to me. Because like understanding where you are in your team cycle and the expectations, like the Dolphins made the playoffs last year. I think probably the nine and eight record was maybe not representative of how good they played at times, especially in the middle portion of the season before, you know, the, the injury at the quarterback position, um, understanding where you are in your team cycle and, and getting Bradley Chubb, who right now today, you know, can go beat most offensive tackles. I love that idea. I love that it's premier positions too, right? Because we talk about edge six, seven, eight, whatever it might've been at the back of the first round, if that's the route you go in same with wide receiver, man, in that class last year, like you had, I think it was five or six receivers plucked off the board before that pick where we used it for Tyreek Hill. I love that idea. And then you kind of mentioned there a little bit as well. Don't don't forget Jalen Ramsey too, by the way, a third round pick for Jalen Ramsey is not too bad on the back end. And, and, you know, I I love this cornerback class. I think it's the best group in the entire draft, but I'll take Jalen Ramsey any day uh, over a a rookie. I mean, like how how could you not (laughs) in this particular climate uh, of the Dolphins roster? And then, you know, the way, the way the Dolphins offense kind of flipped to the strength of the team last year, you know, finishing top 10 compared to the defense where that had been the one carrying them year before finding a way to get that defense back to that level of 2021 or 2020 will be a big, uh, a big portion of what the Dolphins season becomes this year. And that's why we have you on here. Talk about one of the groups on that defense here under new defensive coordinator, Vic Fangio. And I want to talk about linebackers again, that satellite or the, the analog of the running back position on the defensive side of the football and kind of sort of do it through the lens of how the Dolphins could attack the position with picks 51, 84, and then the sixth and seventh round. But before we do that, I want to go back to free agency because the Dolphins made a big splash in acquiring a player whose tape, I just can't get enough of David Long. He he is so fun to watch, man. Since we're talking linebackers, I want to get your take, Dame, on Long's game and his fit in Vic Fangio's defense. 
man, I, I, I watching the watching David Long for the Tennessee Titans this past season and even going back to the summer, Al Kimmel were very impressed with him, right? Like a guy that's athletic, he can move sideline to sideline. You see the ability to drop off into zones and coverages and even cover some tight ends at times, but just be that plus player on all three downs. And that's what you want. You want an all three down player at the linebacker position. Yeah, because you see a lot of teams, they want to uh, supplant, uh, supplement linebacker for a third or fourth safety and bring more speed on the field. When you got a guy that is athletic as a David Long, he can essentially do the same things that you, you want that box safety to do. He can blitz. He can fit the fit the, uh, the gaps in the run game. Uh, so I came really impressed with him with that. He was a well-coached guy. Mike Frable is one of the tougher defensive co- defensive-minded coaches, and he played the linebacker position, right, where he understands what it takes to succeed, so that knowledge that he was able to instill in David Long, I think showcased as he developed during his time in Tennessee. So I think in, in this Vic Vangio's defense, I think he can really shine as one of those stars on the second level, man. Be able to scrape sideline to sideline, flow with the ball for the perimeter runs, toss sweeps, the wide angle zone um, type of runs, but also get downhill, you know what I mean, and, and fill those run lanes. I love the, the the fit of what he could become in this defense. Going from Mike Vrabel to uh, Vic Vangio, I think that's a great, great uh, opportunity for this young man because I, I like his game. And the reason I do leave with David Long, because much like the rest of the defense or roster in general, I think the Dolphins could line up and play a game tomorrow and be well positioned to do so. Like most of the, you know, guys we're going to see the most snap counts from are already here. Uh, you know, Long and Jerome Baker have been every down players for years. You got Duke Riley as a quasi starter, like sub package ace, in addition to what he does on special teams. And then, you know, I think Channing Tindall's a guy that has all the upside in the world. And actually, I want to get your take on him because when you talk about David Long and, and what he brings to the table and how his instincts and the way he plays the game kind of faster with that processing speed, to me, that's a big benefit in a defense that will go lighter boxes at times and what Vic Fangio operates with. Um, but also a, a great player to kind of show Channing Tindall the ropes and a young player who just doesn't have that much football, you know, experience in his background like he was part of those Georgia teams but didn't play a lot of snaps those those three years he was there and then last year not very many snaps on defense either um but after that red shirt season I'm curious to see how you think he might fit in Vic Fangio's defense and how all those traits and all that athletic ability you talk about David Long being the uh what was the word you used the, the spill the, the spill yep the spill. spill like kind of sounds like almost similar to Chang Tindall in a way doesn't it yeah, no, Channing like that that burst and range that he has driving downhill. He's a player that I always felt coming out of Georgia um, that was much better going downhill than dropping backwards. Uh, he does. He's he's a. I think he's a good athlete, but that 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 athleticism and just his play style was always better forward charging at the line of scrimmage, blitzing. Uh, he he played with like this, and, and I say it in a positive way, a reckless abandon. Like he did not really care. Like he was a physical guy who was going to, and you saw what, you know, it was him, the Kobe Dean and Quay Walker. And when they would pull one of those guys off, off the field, they would still do their double a gap mugs, you know, pulling, walk them up on, on the line of scrimmage in the a gaps. He would blitz, he will fill uh, and be that splatter guy, that physical guy in the run game as well. But like you said, just coming into the NFL, as we talked about earlier, it's a, it's a learning curve, not just for the speed of the game, but just learning NFL defenses. Cause one thing about Kirby smart, like and, and you look at what all of these defensive players in the front uh, seven for Georgia, they're not technically refined guys. Like, you know, Devonta Wyatt, Jordan Davis, Trayvon Walker, this year's prospect, Nolan Smith, Robert Beal Jr. All these guys come in kind of raw because they're just 
hey, go be an athlete. Yeah. Hey, we scheme it up, right? You know, <laughs> cross dog and cross dog blitzes where you got the, the linebackers crossing at the at the snap and getting going opposite direction of the line of scrimmage and hitting opposite gaps than their line, right? They did a lot of scheming, uh, especially when you had all those stars in the defensive line as well, where, t- you know, Jordan Davis is getting double teamed. Devonta White is getting a potential dual block. Now that leaves one guard or the center by himself or a tackle by himself to deal with all these moving parts on the second level that are firing at all cylinders downhill. So uh, I think with him, it's just now it's okay. You got to play a designated role in a defense that's structured. And, and I, I and Georgia's defense to me was never truly a structured defense, like an NFL defense where, Hey, it's all about reading your keys that, you know, we use the term for linebacker slow until, you know, so you got to be very, very disciplined in terms of where you're patient with reading, but you're not a slow processor where you allow guards and centers to climb up to the second level in the screen game and in the run game to pick you off. So slow until you know, locate the ball, see where the ball is and where the direction is. And now you hit, you get on your horse and you get there. So I think with Tyndall, having a guy like David Long, who's a veteran in this league now and having the veterans in the locker room at the linebacker position, I think that can help his development this year. My favorite part about the scouting industry is the phrases and terms you guys all come up with slow until, you know, I lo- that stuff is so good. Like Daniel Jeremiah always has the best ones at NFL network. And that's the new one I haven't heard before. So uh, good stuff there, Dame. And, you know, I, I, we talk about the idea of, of these veteran acquisitions and kind of, you know, let's get immediate impact right now. You can almost look back at last year's clash with the dolphins and say like, that was a class that might be more geared towards producing in 2023, both with he and Eric Ezukama, who might get more of a chance to get some more snaps this year uh, with Trent Sherfield exiting stage left and going up to Buffalo uh, in free agency this year. So great stuff there. I do want to talk about the draft with you. That's why you're on here. Let's go ahead and take our first break right, right here real quick and come back on the other side and talk about the linebacker class. I know you're excited to talk about these guys. Uh, it's a good crop. That's next drive time podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield. My guest today, Damian Parson brought to you by auto nation. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you, but consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U S that's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com iHeart. That's LifeLock.com iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Segment number two on a linebacker preview edition of the Draft Time Podcast. I've got Damian Parson from the Draft Network, Locked On NFL Draft Podcast as well. He and his co-host Keith Sanchez do a great job. I think we're going to have Keith on. I'm not quite sure if that's confirmed yet, but I'm looking forward to talking DBs with him. Uh, he was he was great last year on the podcast doing that same thing with us. So looking forward to getting him on the podcast here. Hopefully, I think next week is the idea here. But I do kind of want to go 
and do this the same way I've done it with my other guests so far and just go in order of the Dolphins draft picks and where they sit on the board. Obviously, no first round pick uh, for the first pick they have is at 51. And so the question I've been asking my guests is how many linebackers do you think will be gone off the board through those top 50 picks? So when the Dolphins get on the board at 51, who is going to be out of the equation that you know for sure? I know it's tough to talk in absolutes in the draft season, but who are guys that you think for sure are going to be gone at pick 51? Man, by pick 51, I think we could potentially see two. And I think that's Drew Sanders and Trent Simpson. Drew Sanders, linebacker slash edge rusher from Arkansas. Um, a guy that, you know, you think about what Denver does with Baron Browning. And then, of course, with the Dallas Cowboys have now made famous with Micah Parsons, a guy that's a traditional edge rusher, but athletic and athletically gifted and physically enough to play off-ball linebacker on early downs while you walk him up and rush him as his natural position on third downs with those two guys. I think Drew Sanders fits that mold, and that's going to be really hard for defenses at the top of the second round to pass on, in my personal opinion, because he has the the measurements. He has the height, the arm length, the, the physical and athletic uh, ability to play both positions. So uh, that that type of flexibility and versatility were big. And if you talk about versatility, Trenton Simpson, a guy that some teams have as a safety, other teams have as a linebacker, then there are the, the, you know, the third crop are like, man, he can play either one for us. It doesn't really matter because he has that physical profile but he has that also that safety DB athleticism in range, right? So a young man that, that can blitz, rush off the edge, drop off in coverage, play man to man, you know, a guy that could potentially be that third safety, you know, nickel dime backer on the field as well. So I think those are two guys that will be off the board before uh, by the time that Miami picks uh, and a guy that, that I think that could be on the board that I truly think could really be a nice fit for them. Is uh is Dan Hen- Henley from Washington oh, State? Coos. Like I-, I absolutely love this kid <laughs> on brand, right? On brand. I just showed him my uh, thermos on my I have my coffee thermos is Washington State. <laughs> everyone here knows I'm a I'm a Cougar alum, so listen, I-, I make sure everyone knows that. <laughs> nah, no, listen, I I really came away impressed with. I didn't get a chance to watch him prior to the Senior Bowl because um, he wasn't in my bucket of, of players to watch prior to. But watch him at the Senior Bowl. You, you talk about a guy who looked good on the huff. You know, he's got that, that he's walking around with the Zeke crop top, you know, with the jersey <laughs> tucked up, showing the eight pack abs. But he played, but right. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's just he played and his energy was so infectious. You could feel him on the field kind of getting everybody else riled up. You know, you watch them in the pass uh, in the one on one pass protection drills with the line with the running backs and linebackers going one on one. And it was very rarely that he was blocked one on one by any of the running backs down in Mobile and, and the physicality he played with. This is a young man who was I think he played quarterback. He played receiver uh, growing up as well. And it's like, OK, make it. I think he played some safety also. So now putting him at linebackers, that's a different. This is a different area for this young man. I think he's. Uh, assimilate himself and, and become accustomed to it well and really embraced it. And like you said, you see the range from sideline to sideline. He's getting quicker as the time as time goes by with processing and reading, right? Being slow until you know. But I will I love the fact that, you know, watching him in the run game, a guy that will be planted, he sees the ball, he's able to evade and slip blocks and still be able to re-square himself to make a powerful hit. You know what I mean? And, and bring down the, the ball carrier. So this is a guy I think that, that if they did want to attack linebacker, um, you know, especially if you have any qualms or concerns about the long-term potential of a Channing Tindall, I think a, 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 a you know, Dan Henley 
especially uh, he compares a little bit to um to David Long, I think physically. But I'll tell you the one of the comps I had, like not a full comp, because I think they're they're two different type of athletes. If I remember this guy ran a four, sub four, four. His play style reminded me very much of Ryan Shazier mm. uh, over with the with the Pittsburgh Steelers when in his prime. Shazier was a guy that played with his hair on fire. He was physical, he was aggressive, he didn't meet the body mass thresholds of, of the old school linebackers, right? He didn't look like Ray Lewis or Brian Erlacher. He didn't have all the mass on his body. He looked more like a safety, but a guy that shot gaps, got into the backfield, and you felt his presence play after play. He would blitz. He would drop off in coverage. He could catch the ball. He could take the ball away. And just that, that again, the energy, things you can't teach are guys that play with that infectious like, even though he was ball-headed, he played with his head on fire, right? Like, that, that's what Ryan Shazier did, and that's what uh, Henley does as well. I mean, I feel like you just described our Hall of Fame linebacker, Zach Thomas, to a T in those instincts <laughs> and the way he played the game, man. So we are all about the non-prototype player down here when it comes to players like that. And, you know, you, you kind of... Gosh, Henley, uh, he's one of my favorite players, man. That Wisconsin tape that he had last year was so dang good. He that had so many amazing. TFLs in that amazing. game, and he did it from either sideline to either sideline all game long. He was awesome in that one. But you, you bring up a, an interesting point there that I kind of want to take a detour on because you mentioned Trent Simpson, a safety convert. You mentioned Henley. He was a, a guy that was a, a safety prior in his career as well. I feel like we get a lot more of that than we used to. And, and following the draft for, you know, 15, 20 years, it feels like you, you get a lot of that now compared to, you know, in the back in the day, what you played in college is what you are in the next level. And if you try to transition, you probably, probably not going to work out for you, but now right. it's more common. And I, I'm curious, you think that's because of how the NFL has these sub packages, how the NFL has become the spread out passing game where you take a player who has those safety instincts and has that safety kind of knowledge and maybe a little bit more of a linebacker kind of tweener body worth the athletic ability, because now on third and 12, I've got a linebacker who's in the game who can handle a screen, but also can drop 20 yards on the pike. Like, is that kind of why the game is going that way and why you have some of these converted players? 100%. I mean, the game has changed, right? Especially defensively in the NFL. You think about the NBA where it's like, they, they talk about being positionless basketball where you can have all the way up through the center spot at this point, as we see with Nikola Jokic and the the Embiid's, the Giannis Antetokounmpo's of the world, guys that can bring the ball up, you know what I mean, at seven foot, seven foot one, and it's like, what, like this is not what we're used to. We're used to Shaq being in the low post, right, being three hundred pounds and just banging and, and, and throwing <laughs> his body around, right. So it's like it, the game has changed. Where in the NFL, it's the same thing, positionless defense. The NFL has it's it's a grown man's league, right? but it's now a track meet. So if the, the days of the 270-pound, just two-down Brandon Spikes type of linebackers, that day is long gone because offenses are able to pick apart that one player as the weakness of your defense at such a high rate now. You think about the routes the running backs are running out of the backfield, and, and teams are so easily to go from 12 personnel under, under center with one running back to completely spread and now uh, your base defense is stretched across the field. So you need these type of guys who can be interchangeable. Whereas like, you know what? I find more value in a guy like that, that can play safety, like a Trenton Simpson, uh, Isaiah Simmons, right? Those type of guys. Then a guy that's going to, you know, you think about the Donta Hightowers that, from the New England Patriots. He was like 270. He was actually an edge rusher. You know what I mean? He was actually an edge guy, but he was playing off ball backer. They kept dropping them off in the coverage. In today's NFL, 
he would get picked on in coverage because of the, the, the lack of fluidity and athleticism and his body type. If you use him in that way, now, if you rush him off the edge, he's going to dominate. Great you know play, what I mean? Yeah. He's going he's to dominate and he's still going to be able to trans uh, transition into this league. But that's where, where it is though. Travis, like it, it's so spread out now. It's a track meet. Speed is everywhere. That's why, you know, the, the offenses are constantly looking at these type of tight ends that can move like receivers and stretch the field. Cause you know what? I can, you can outrun these linebackers or outrun these safeties, but then they're, they're taller and, have a bigger frame than the linebacker. So it's like, I just got to put a helmet or higher as a quarterback because your linebacker who's five foot 11, six foot one, can't go up with a Luke Musgrave who's six, six, 250. I could put it over his head and let him go get it. And that feels like the whole tight end class is like that right now too. All these six foot six guys that are running freaking four, six, six, four. six, six seven, it's, six, eight. It's crazy. It's Darnell Washington's not even, a, I don't think he's even a human at this point, the way he works <laughs> out and the way his, his body is put together. Just unbelievable. And by the way, I love how you fit the drive time culture because the basketball reference with the big guys bringing the ball up the floor, that's like right in my wheelhouse, man. I talk about <laughs> baseball and basketball on the show all the time here. So good stuff there. Parallels, uh, man. Yeah, exactly. It's that's again back to Daniel Jeremiah. He talks all the time about different sports and team building and how those different ideas kind of incorporate into the game of football. I think it's I think you have to have that uh, perspective, that wide scope and that big perspective to be able to do your job as best as you possibly can. So we talked about pick 51. I kind of thought you might put Hanley in this tier because I've just seen him mock there a lot. But hey, top 50 player for the Cougs. I'll take that all day long. Um, but pick 84 at the linebacker position. Who do you think kind of falls into that range that might uh, fancy the Dolphins interest? Oh, man, I think about another former safety kind of tweener, and that's DeMarvian Overshone from Texas, right? 6'3", uh, he's about two, th- I think he came, He I, I don't really take the, the combine way in seriously. Yeah. These kids drop weight just to run fast and jump right. high. Um, but I think he played around closer to 240, athletic guy. And what I loved about, like I said, former safety, uh, started a career at Texas as a safety, but you see him. You you turn that tape against Alabama, and like I said, a guy that's similar to to Henley, consistently developing in terms of processing and uh, you know eye discipline, right? And you don't want to get you know a lot of eye candy pre snap and motions and shifts and stuff, and you don't want to get caught trying to flow with someone that doesn't have the football. So he's still developing in that realm. That's why I think third round could be a good spot for him, but he plays much more physical than I expected. I turned on that Alabama tape and I saw a guy that rushed off the edge that would fit the run, run lanes, dropped off in coverage. He was physical. He was out there hitting. He was getting into sticking his face in the fire, man. Like, you know, at the end of the day, in the, to be a run defender and a tackler to, to give yourself uh three down value, it takes a certain mentality, even in today's NFL where, yeah, it's the most more pass happy, but still, yet you still have to defend the run. And one thing I took a, a pre, I had appreciation for with Overshawn was his a willingness to get close to the line of scrimmage when the ball snaps, and, and he knows his run and, and, and fight through blocks using that. I think his thirty three inch arms, using that arm length to to, to uh, shock and shed offensive linemen and locate the ball and make a tackle. Man, I came away impressed with this young man. I think on day two, uh, you know, mid to late day two of the draft. A team is going to get a, a linebacker that could really be a high impact starter for him. I love that comment because like as much as we talk about the game changing and, and going more towards the speed spread out active, like all the action down the field, like you still have to deconstruct blocks and play physical because at the end of the day, football is a violent physical game. And so you have to be able to bring that as well. So those guys that have that, that, you know, kind of multifaceted skill set certainly pop and uh, Overshone was actually reported to be one of our thir- top 30 visits as well. So maybe there's some interest there uh, in that third round. But then we don't come back until round six and seven, Dame. So this is where the uh, the draft scouts really, really make their money, man. Uh, you know, you're going on the road and, and making a 
all your stops at the small small colleges and small schools and finding the intel on these guys. Maybe the, the rest of the draft community doesn't know about. Um, who are you kind of putting your stamp on here? A, a potential, you know, late day three pick, maybe a priority UDFA, someone that you think can come in right away and give you some special teams reps, maybe a sub package player, maybe even a guy that you think winds up going in, on day three and is a starter right away. Who are you pounding the table for late on day three at linebacker? Man, two guys that come to mind. Servassier Dennis from Pittsburgh, uh, six foot and a half, played around 230. Uh, a guy that's athletic enough. Um, you, you, he's played to me. He looks like, I remember telling Keith when I watched this side, he looks like he could play safety. You know what I mean? Because he's got that type of build. But you see the, the, the willingness to really be physical, athleticism, trigger downhill, drop off in the coverage, blitz from different uh, alignments and variations. And I think this is a young man that, that, we fast forward two years in the right, uh, right environment. You could get yourself a sub package player or a potential uh, starter. Depends on what your what your front seven looks like, just to keep them clean. And a guy that doesn't meet the, you know, you're talking about a potential undrafted free priority free agent that can, I think, will be a special teams ace. But you know, if you get past the the, the limitations size wise, you can you you appreciate his game. Ivan Pace Jr. from Cincinnati, man. Um, you know, he's about five, 10, five, 11, like this young man. That's another, I think he had a club on his hand in, in mobile at the senior bowl. And I remember watching him like, you know, just like Henley in those, uh, one-on-one reps and pass pro against the running backs. So I think one rep, he, he, he lost a rep. He was not happy. You could tell he wasn't happy with himself. And the very next chance he got that running back again, the, he used the most vicious club I've ever seen a, a linebacker use. And it was just like, it was so violent, so physical, so aggressive, just so he can get back to the quarterback. He plays with such a, a level of physicality and just motor that's unteachable. These are like, he may not have the ideal measurements. He's going to be in the less than 20 percentile and most of the, the height, weight, and arm measurements and everything. But sometimes you got to throw the thresholds out the window and just look at the football player. And Ivan Pace Jr. is a football player. I think a guy that he's coachable, a very well-spoken young man. I saw him down in India at the Combine. And I think one thing I took away from that, Travis, is like that I appreciated is you see a young man that I truly believe if you ask him to play, hey, man, we, we just want you right now on, on special teams, mm-hmm. you know, as a on punt team, on kickoff team, and things like that. And even as a blocker on kick or punt return, he I, I really foresee this young man saying, whatever you need, coach, whatever you need from me. And you know what I mean? He plays like that. This young man had, now he played middle linebacker. He had 12 sacks this year. And it's like, when you think about a middle linebacker having 12 sacks, you're like, how is this possible? Right. <laughs> and you just turn on the tape and you see him uh, just athletically just get downhill. He, like I said, that motor, even when guys like get their hands on him, he's always fighting. He's always, he's got this physical yet slippery type of game where he can slip off of blocks and get in the backfield. And there's times, especially when the coverage is good, you got Xavier Howard, you have uh, Jalen Ramsey, Noah Igmanogany, uh, you know, all these different corners on your team where you can play that man-to-man coverage and, and, and really hold up the, the quarterback in, in terms of getting the ball out of his hands, having the guy that's going to keep fighting and keep fighting as a blitzer to get back there and make that quarterback uncomfortable. Cause there, he got one sack, I think it was against Tulsa where he literally crawled into it. Like he got, <laughs> he got washed down and he, 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 they pushed him to the ground, but he caught himself with his hands and then climbed himself right back into the sack to get his hands around his, his arms around the legs of the quarterback. So that type of, leadership and play style. I think an NFL team 
they're going to look at him like he, he may not be for everybody, but this is a guy that when you might look on the, on the field on Sundays and someone has him on the field in certain spots and he's making some plays for them. He sounds like a culture builder, a guy that comes in right away and, and has that mentality that just kind of raises the level of everybody around him because like, Hey, I'll do whatever you need coach. And that's going to be infectious in the way you practice and the way you prepare and all that stuff too. So man, great stuff. You gave us a bunch of names. I am circling that name, Ivan Pace. I know exactly the rep you're talking about in the senior bowl. That's why I lit up on the, on the zoom here uh, <laughs> when you talked about it, because it was, it was so impressive to watch. And, and so is he as a player. I just, I, I love those kind of guys that uh, overcome, you know, like you mentioned some of the, the, the physical and, and athletic shortcomings in terms of the measurements, like just be a football player. And he is that. Damian Parson, Draft Network, the host of Locked on NFL Podcast. You can find him on Twitter at DP underscore NFL. Dame, how can I help you promote the podcast or anything else? What are you working on, man? Man, listen, we, uh, we're we five days a week, Monday through Friday. You can find us on, go subscribe for free on YouTube. But also, if you're more of an audio person, working out, driving, whatever, in the gym, um, you can find us on you know, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. It's on all your favorite audio podcasting apps as well. If you do go to YouTube, hit subscribe, hit the bell notification, like, comment, uh, talk to us. We talk back. Same thing on the audio portion. Subscribe, download, uh, share it with some friends, and then leave a five-star review, man. We have so much coming down the pipeline. Dame's dudes every Tuesday, this or that. Coach K's key thoughts on Wednesdays. We just did an episode going over big boards, uh, a tight end big board for my guy Ryan Fowler over at the Draft Network and talking about just a tight end class in general and where we see some guys being ranked, man. So it's uh, it's draft prep, another like a week and a half left until it's game day. So uh, just tap in with us, guys. Yeah, you will learn something for sure on that podcast. Check it out. The Locked on NFL podcast with both Dame and Keith Sanchez. Don't miss it. Uh, Dame, thank you so much for your time today, man. We learned a lot here on this podcast as well. For sure, man. Appreciate the time. And away he goes. Let's go ahead and take our last break right there and come back on the other side and finish up with my notes from my season rewatch here in the month of April. That's next. Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter let's please welcome jamal crawford to point game king of the court one-on-one tournament if they had it back in your prime do you think he could have took it all i'm gonna be honest with you i don't think i could have took it all but i think i would have shocked a lot of people i think kobe and everybody in their prime kobe would win a one-on-one contest yeah yeah because you gotta think he's gonna guard he don't care about guarding He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. Like that, see that. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he ain't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. So I teased it on the other side of the show here, but I want to jump into this topic here, watching the games back and kind of getting a recollection of things that you knew, but kind of, I guess, went by the wayside over the last several months, having not seen a Dolphins game now in in three months, it's been that long. And I refer back to this often, how I have been watching those games, and it's been a bit of a slower burn this time around because it's crazy how much less time you have uh, with two kids compared to none. We miss sleep in the Wingfield household. But the point I've noticed through rewatching the games, 
And it's kind of like a yeah, duh type of realization because all it is is jogging your memory from when what you knew back when you watched those games live and poured over the tape several times over, at least in my, uh, you know, my experience. But I think we do this with every team every year. Even the one that we study the closest, the Miami Dolphins, is that the further removed we get from the season – the more we start to remove context and just go results-based. And anybody who follows this sport, or really any sport, but football above all, given the 17-game sample size, you know that what the numbers say is not necessarily always the case. Well, I suppose it is, but it's not instructive, right? It's not predictive. And you don't listen to a podcast to hear somebody tell you, the Dolphins were 9-8. and eight. That was a good throw. That was a good tackle. No, you want nuance. You want to know why those things were good. You want context that can inform how you might feel heading into a game, a season, a play, whatever the case may be. I'll do a quick departure here for you and explain in a way that I think can connect with someone whose main sport is any of the top three sports in America. Obviously, most of you are probably football is that sport, but I know we have some Heat fans in here as well. And I know we have some less, but some baseball fans in the audience. Raise your hands. Just kidding. Imagine treating a podcast like it was live. It'd be funny. I thought last year's Heat team was very, very good. I thought they played exceptional team defense. I thought they were good in transition, controlled the boards, and had scores, and enough shooters. It's funny how losing P.J. Tucker seems to really have unraveled it all, doesn't it? But I went to a game in November with some of the video staff here at the Dolphins, and I distinctly remember saying this to them, I don't think this Heat team is very good this year. And I'm watching Duncan Robinson give up three consecutive baskets on defense, while Max Struess seems to have lost that touch that really made him a kind of a big figure in that 2021 team. And Kyle Lowry's age became apparent overnight. I thought he was frustrating last year too, but this year way more so. But sure enough, here we are, and this is pre-recorded, so who knows if they beat the Raptors or Wizards. I didn't even, this is before that game even happens. I think you can take the context of the 2021 team and say they probably maximized their ability with Struess hitting a high percentage of his shots and threes or P.J. Tucker really serving as the conduit of the team. Hero in that sixth man role found that spark that hasn't been the same as a starter this year. But then they just didn't do anything in the offseason to shore up some of the deficiencies and banked on career type of performances repeating themselves. I compare it to elite defense in the NFL. That is tough to sustain for more than a year and just about impossible to do it beyond two years. Take my Seattle Mariners for baseball. I was just looking at a chart of their offseason moves and it began with a splash, a power hitting, high OPS, quick mover, quick on the bases, effective glove in the outfield with Teoscar Hernandez. But then what? Mitch Hanniger gone, Kyle Lewis gone, Jesse Winker gone, replacements, AJ Pollock, Colton Wong, oof. Now, they go into games with some combination of Jared Kelenic, who's been hitting well, Tommy LaStella, Colton Wong, Pollock, and J.P. Crawford. That's four bats in the lineup who are more than 100 points below league average in OPS. That is not a winning formula. And they led the league last year in one-run wins. So breaking the drought was fun, but the context tells you they probably were lucky to get in and probably can't transport that success over this year when the offseason wasn't really that good. So with the Dolphins, it was the opposite. Watching these games again, in literally every single loss, you can look at a crucial moment late in the game. Like in the second half, they were in position to 
win the game or had a favorable win probability at that point. And little things would just bite them. Now, like we talk about transporting success over, it doesn't just occur. You can't replicate that success and fix the things that you didn't do well. But the difference here to me is that, A, we know McDaniel is a genius, but also ego-free enough to make certain corrections and changes. And that, B, all of the offseason moves were geared towards improving those trapdoor situations last year, a.k.a. the defense, right? Offense was awesome, and you might look at some spots that need improvements, and that's a given. But consider the fact that even with those those holes or perceived holes, you're talking about trying to improve an offense that was sixth in the NFL last year, despite the fact that for four plus games, they went from top five quarterback play to bottom one or two quarterback play based upon all stats, analytics, and charts. Let's go through these real quick. The Bengals game, the interception in the high red zone with a chance to take a lead in the fourth quarter is obviously brutal. And that was a game that we played down our quarterback, most of it down our top two corners and and Byron and X and Tyreek and Jalen both in and out of the lineup that game with injuries. That's even without mentioning having a 15-14 lead with 243 to play in the game coming off of a four-day rest where the defense played 84 snaps against Buffalo in the hot, hot heat down here. And on the heels of a second and goal from the two that went run for no gain, incomplete pass, Tyreek was open, missed the throw. Then the next drive, we failed to convert a third and one from the minus 33-yard line and punt the ball away. That would have given us a fresh set of downs under 10 minutes to play, trailing by two. And then Evan McPherson hits a 57-yard field goal with 6.17 to play. He misses that, and that's a 50% kick by the numbers. Well, then you have the ball just shy of midfield, only needing two first downs to kick a potential game-winning field goal. Could have won that game several times. Jets game, just the dumbest game. Removing our quarterback, too, for no reason. Not to mention the grounding call on Teddy occurred the opposite or the exact same way that we didn't get called for us multiple times later in the year. Having a field goal attempt to go ahead with 13 minutes left, not to mention the sequence prior to the 54-yard field goal, a false start that he raced a first down inside the Jet 30, then a dropped pass on an ensuing second and 10 that would have put Miami inside the 25-yard line with a new set of downs. Then the wheels fell off, but putting Zach Wilson behind in the fourth quarter, opposed to a quick change for our defense and a jet lead, major difference there. Minnesota, the waddle fumble, obviously, but also that never-ending drive in the first quarter to go first and 10 from the plus 24, false start, gain of 20, ineligible man downfield, first and 20, offensive holding, then waddle for 18, back in it. But then second and 12, again, the Tyreek and OPI. Second and 22, another holding call on a screen pass. And then you punt from almost sure touchdown to punting. Sure fills inside the the five-yard line on that catch and run and then back to a punt. The San Francisco game, it really comes down to that fourth down miss. Kosicki has it, doesn't secure the catch. I mean, if I told you this offense had first and 10 at the plus 33 with six minutes to play down by six, you would tell me the Dolphins are going to win that game. Not to mention the tackle by Dre Greenlaw on Tyreek on the first down play was a brilliant one. If Tyreek slips that, it's out the gate. Plus, we just played horrible and still had a chance to win. Speaking of playing horrible and a chance to win, the Chargers game the following week, uh, they took possession of the ball with 11-19 to play in the game, up six at their own 11, and we forced a third and five, which would have given us a short field had we gotten that stop. But Justin Herbert made a great throw and was really good in that game. But how about the fact that we had a loose ball on an onside kick with 70 seconds to play only down six? Like, again, I'm taking the Miami offense in that spot. Or Tyreek losing a walk-in 80-yard touchdown throw in the lights, I guess. Or Jalen Phillips getting hit with a worst roughing the passer call of the season on third and nine at their own 18. 
They did still punt, but it cost us about 60 yards of potential field position. Buffalo getting the ball back with a five-point lead in plus territory in the fourth quarter. That was the one that hurt the most. But the back-to-back drop touchdowns in the first quarter leads to a field goal. Josh Allen extending that play that almost cost them a field goal chance, winds up a touchdown, and then just a couple of sequences there late in the game that didn't go our way. That one was close. That one hurt. Green Bay was just the most annoying game. So close, so many times. Getting the football back late multiple times. I don't want to overanalyze this one because who knows what the truth was for why those three picks happened the way they did. Just very uncharacteristic. Patriots game, eh, pick six. The Skyler scramble for a first down that was called back that led to a punt instead of a first down with a uh, just needing a field goal to take a lead just outside the red zone. And then the Buffalo playoff game. I actually think this is the one where we had to say that we got very lucky to be in the game, but to have a third and two with two chances to get a first down right at midfield, down by less than a touchdown with 220 to play in the game. Now, given the personnel, I don't have the same confidence the offense would have scored as I did in San Francisco and Los Angeles, but the chance was there. So that's kind of just what I noticed from rewatching the season. Nine and eight, yes, but context tells me that was a 12-win team potentially that just had bad luck and got in its own way. Can they avoid those things? I hope so. And if so, going to be a very fun year. All right, we've got more draft previews coming your way. EJ Snyder from Bootleg Football is next. He'll do defensive line, but in the meantime, it's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and Juice, the YouTube channel for Dolphins Today, and media availabilities. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up. Carolina and Cameron. Daddy's coming home.